There are uh, prayer cards up here on the altar as pictures of the kids and their families, and uh, you're more than welcome to, to take one of those. And pray for them. Yes, don't just take them. Pray for them. Well, I have a confession to make. I am getting older. So are many of you getting older. It was while I was pastoring here that you celebrated with me my 40th birthday. I still have the black powder rifle that you gave me for that birthday gift. That was 37 years ago. Wow. Getting older causes me to think more and more about what does the future hold for us. Wida and I have experienced the loss of both of our parents and the loss of one grandchild who was stillborn. All of us, at one time or another, have had to walk through the valley of the shadow of death as we have lost someone that we love and care about. This causes me to think more and more about the kingdom of God. And the truth of the matter is, from the scriptures, we gain our greatest understanding of the kingdom of God from Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. We should pay attention to the words of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Many of these lessons were given to us in the form of parables. In Matthew chapter 13, there are seven different parables that Jesus told his disciples, and all of them have to do with the kingdom of God. We're going to look at the last of these parables today, which is the parable of the net. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 47 through verse 50, you'll read this uh, with me as it's on the screen. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus explained the kingdom of God using the simplest illustrations that were known to his disciples. Many of the disciples who followed Jesus now had in the past been fishermen, and they clearly understood the power of the net for catching fish. Now Jesus took what they knew about fishing with a net and taught them a new truth about the kingdom of God. Since this parable is about teaching about something that is in the future, we would have never known that this was going to happen if Jesus 
had not told us. He told us what was going to happen in the future in this parable. And understanding the kingdom of God and what God intends to do in the future should make a deep, deep impression upon us now so that we can be ready when these events take place. The parable itself is pretty plain. The fisherman casts a net into the lake and catches all kinds of fish. When the net was full, the fisherman pulled it on the shore and be began sorting the good from the bad, keeping the good and throwing the bad away. Now, I've never caught fish with a net. I have had the privilege of catching a lot of fish with a rod and reel. While living in Alaska, one of the things that we did not enjoy doing was going fishing for halibut. There is just something about having a hook in the water that is two to 300 feet deep. You don't know what that hook around down there. And you cannot see, but you can feel it when that fish strikes that hook. The problem is, you never know what's on the other side of the line until you get, up, get it up to the surface of the water. Yes, I've caught halibut. Matter of fact, I caught 165 pound halibut and enjoyed eating all of it, except for some I gave away. But I've also caught fish <laughs> that I didn't want and nobody else wanted. Uh, there was a fish in Alaska that was called the double ugly. You didn't even want to have to take it off the hook. The halibut we kept, but the other fish we disposed of. This is what the fishermen did in the parable that Jesus was teaching about. There was a separation of the good from the bad. The fishermen were the judge and the jury in making the decisions about what was kept and what was destroyed. So up to this point, Jesus uh, had not told the disciples anything that they did not know. That had been many of their professions. They knew about good and bad fish. But now Jesus moves the parable to a very profound truth that they did not know and would have never known had he not told them what was to come. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 49 and 50, the word of God says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now Jesus is not talking about fish, but he's talking about us, the human race that is going to be divided, not by race or even whether we are Jewish or Gentile, but by our relationship with Jesus Christ who came and died on the cross that all individuals might be saved. The two descriptions in this parable are the evil and the righteous. 
What separates the evil and the righteous is not their works, but is their relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 and 17, the Word of God says, Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. That's what separates the evil and the righteous. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Having the gospel in our lives is what separates the evil and the righteous. You know, the gospel is given to us as we respond to God by faith. I know it would make more sense if, if God had laid down some regulations or laws, something we had to do. I mean, we're doers. The human race is a doing race. We like to accomplish things. But that's not the gospel. The gospel is so clear. And Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, Paul makes it so clear when he says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. The gift of God is given to us, not because of what we do, but because of faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. The New Testament is where we learn about the story of the Lord Jesus. What we do with the facts of this story makes the difference whether we are in the group of the evil or the righteous. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 5, is the gospel in a nutshell. And, and Paul says, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel which I preached unto you. And verse 2 it says, by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word of God, I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. In accordance with the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he was raised again on the third day according with the scriptures. Folks, the gospel verb is done, not do. It's already been done. Jesus paid the price for our salvation on the cross. He died on the cross that we might be saved, that we might have life, and that we might have it more and abundantly. The righteous are those that have a right relationship with God. The evil are those who have refused to have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son. And this parable tells us that there is a day in the future when there's going to be a great separation between the righteous and the evil. 
Have you ever wished that the world in which you live was different? I'm 77 years old now. I've lived through the going to the moon. But I think something even more tragic is I've lived through ages of decay in the moral fiber of individuals. I, I've, I've lived through where I would have great admiration for those in leadership, even in political circles, to move to the place to wonder what in the world are they doing? How can they make those kind of decisions? Have you ever wanted to live in a world uh, in which it would be different? Think about it. Everywhere you turn, we hear about the evil deeds that are being done by those who oppose God and are not willing for him to lead their lives. We even began to wonder, is the kingdom of God still active in our world? Where is God's activity in our world? Well, let me remind you that we are living during the time that exists between the first coming of the Lord Jesus and the second coming of the Lord Jesus. He is coming back. And this parable tells us that we are living during the time that the kingdom of God does exist and that there is a day coming when there's going to be a great, great separation between the evil and the righteous. Now, some folks would say that there's never going to be an end to how things are right now. Jesus is teaching us in this parable that there is a day of reckoning that is coming. Uh, others would say nothing has ever changed and nothing is going to. Let me remind you what Peter said in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Peter said, a day is coming. I not got here yet, but it's coming. The end is coming. Jesus speaks very clearly about the end of the age. This world is on a clock, and it is counting down. There is a day on the Lord's calendar when this old world is going to come to an end. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 49, the word of God says, So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous. God has already picked the hour. And this earth is screaming towards it. It's going to come. First Peter, 2 Peter 3.10 But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. 
when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. We think, we think we can preserve this world. But we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the real sustainer of this world. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, and in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through the Lord Jesus Christ, through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. I even hear preaching and communication by others that says, we want to protect this world because they're under the delusion that it will last forever. I even hear statements like, we'll leave it to our children and grandchildren and on down through the generations. But I'm telling you, folks, it will not. God, not, God did not intend for it to remain. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. I don't know when that's going to come. Even while I was here as your pastor, I didn't know when it was going to come. And that was 34 years ago. But a day is coming. Judgment day is coming. And this parable, interestingly enough, Jesus doesn't tell us what's going to happen to the righteous except that they'll be separated from the evil. But he does tell us about the evil. What will happen to them. And that verse again in Matthew chapter 13, verse 49. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. And in, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There are a lot of things that we do not know about heaven or hell. But I know enough from God's word about hell that I don't want to go there. And I don't want anybody else around me to go there. I don't want them to experience hell. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't want anyone to experience hell. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 29, Jesus said, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of your members and that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. And throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of the members of your body than your whole body go into hell. Jesus said that hell is real and you don't want to go there. Lose an eye. Lose a hand. But don't go to hell. But unfortunately, we're more concerned about our physical well-being here upon this earth than we are about our eternal destiny. Even, even, I'm afraid that it's reflected in our prayer life. 
Because sometimes we pray more about folks who are sick than folks who are lost. We want them to be preserved upon this earth more than being preserved for eternity. We need to be praying for the lost. We need to see these pews be filled again with folks who don't know God so we can teach them about God. We need to see um, we need to see individuals coming to accept Jesus Christ as Savior and as Lord. Well, Pastor, I don't want to talk to them. I'm afraid they won't like me anymore. They, what would they think about me if I tell them that Jesus Christ loved them and died on the cross for them? Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus said that if we're to have any fear, it's to be respect God more than anyone else on this earth. In this verse, we see that God, who determines your eternal destiny, heaven or hell, eternal life or eternal death. We better find out what God wants from us. We have to do it now before it's too late. Jesus tells a story, and uh, we've got it for you on the screen, but we're not going to read all of it. There's a rich man who fared sumptuously every day, and there was a man who lived by his gate by the name of Lazarus. He didn't have enough food. He even begged for the crumbs from the rich man's table. One day, Lazarus died, and then the rich man died. And the rich man could see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. And he called out to Abraham, and he said, Father Abraham, I'm in torment and pain here in hell. Would you, would you just send Lazarus and let him dip his finger into a cup of water and let him touch my tongue because of the torment that's here? And Abraham's response was, I'm sorry, but there's a great fix in between the two places, and one can't go from here to there or there to here. And then the rich man said, Abraham, Father Abraham, would you send somebody back to my brothers? Somebody from the dead and tell them not to come to hell because it's a place of torment. A place I don't want my brothers to experience what I'm experiencing here in hell. You can read that parable and that story that Jesus told. Hell is for those who do not have a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus came to provide salvation. He came to provide everlasting life. The verse of scripture that impacted my life so much 
with John chapter 3 and verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. I tell you, folks, Jesus' first coming was to save us. His second coming is for judgment. In John chapter 3 and verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. The difference between heaven and hell is your relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord. Come on, Pastor. Isn't there anything good that you can preach on? You know, just give us, just give us the good stuff that tells us that we're all right and that everything's okay. Listen very carefully. Sin in your life is not all right. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, it's not okay. It's not okay. We need Jesus Christ in our lives. Heaven is real. Without Jesus, you don't have any hope. So Matthew chapter 13, that parable, in verse 49, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The fiery furnace is a place of eternal weeping and gnashing of teeth. No relief in, in sight and none is offered. <laughs> we li do live in an amazing world in one respect. Because when we hurt physically, we can go see a doctor. And sometimes that doctor will prescribe a pain medicine. And you know what? We just get plumb happy because the pain's not there anymore. Unfortunately, there is no medicine in hell. When the pain comes, the torment comes, hell is a place of no hope, no help, no remedy, no relief. And Jesus described it as a fiery place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus Christ is your only hope of missing hell. There is a deadline of acceptance of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That is your death or the end of the age. I've asked us to sing a closing hymn. It's called In Christ alone in Christ alone we're going to sing that 
I'm going to be down here at the front. If you've never invited Jesus Christ to be your Savior and your Lord, we'd love to talk to you today. We'd love to share the gospel with you. We'd love for you to give your heart to the Lord Jesus. You're here today, and uh, you need to know the Lord. We'd love to help you do that. You're here today and you say, you know, Brother Roy, I've kind of walked away from the Lord. And I just want to recommit my heart and my life to the Lord today. In Christ alone, that's our only hope. We invite you today. I'm going to be here at the front. Don't tarry. We're not going to be here long. You come right now as we sing. You come.